Sunday sermons have been beat up and all the men Sunday. That's not going to be the case today, so relax, guys, at ease. I'm not going to verbally assault you, but I am going to lead both you and the ladies here to a concept that we desperately need. I need it as a father. You need it as whatever role God has given you, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. As we're continuing this series called Helper, I want you to see through the scripture today the association between the Holy Spirit and his power. If you have the review, it may help you to take notes. But let's go to Acts chapter 1. And right away, we're going to look at this quote from Jesus. Jesus says these words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want you to note that this scripture has already come to pass and is coming to pass because the gospel started right there in Jerusalem among this sect of Jewish believers. Then it spread out into the wider geographical area of Judea. And then it went to the unlikely people of Samaria, as we learned last week in Acts chapter 8. And since then, the gospel has literally spread throughout the world. As 2,000 years ago, the place where we sit now was no doubt probably forest, uninhabited, or just inhabited, inhabited by Native Americans. And the message of Jesus was so far. And now it's come here, and we have an international community. We're all gathered here in in the outskirts of Nashville, Tennessee, with different ethnic backgrounds. Here in the United States of America, this very young country we live in, just 240 years old, and we're, we're experiencing the message of Jesus. Why? Because power came upon ordinary, normal men and women. We're living the miracle right now. We're living the words that Jesus said would happen. So that word power feels good, doesn't it? I mean, it feels a lot better than weakness. Power feels good. And so it's a very functional word. I think we all understand what the word power is. But sometimes we want to just look at it again just so we can not get so familiar with the term that we have forgotten its meaning. The Greek word for power is equivalent to what we have today. And it's talking about strength, might, force. You're going to receive strength and might and force when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Sometimes I like scientific definitions. And in the discipline of physics, the term power has a very specific meaning, but I think it translates to us. In physics, power is the rate of doing work. It's the energy consumed per unit time. So think about this. You're going to receive speed. You're going to receive energy. The rate that work is done is going to increase when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And we're just taking this very familiar word of power and just unfolding it a little bit so we remember what it means. Let's look at that again, Acts 1.8. So you can now, as we've We've revisited this definition. See it again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Man, we all need that. 
But I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Because I want you to see another aspect of power that has been characteristic of my life at times and is characteristic of really the society and culture in which we live. But know this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, in the last day, know this, difficult times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. I don't know about you, but when I read that list, you know who it reminds me of? Me. I, I think about that list and I wonder if Has there ever been a time when there wasn't something on that list I wasn't necessarily dealing with at some degree or the other? And I've actually used that scripture at time for um, a tool of contemplation. God, where am I not allowing your Holy Spirit power? I think to, to, to affect my behavior. I think the bigger issue here is who are we without the Holy Spirit's power? Without the Holy Spirit's power, those characteristics that you read in 2 Timothy 3 are are prevalent. Because the things mentioned there are so common to our sinful nature and our human nature. And that's why we need his power. We we need a game changer. We need something that that, that is greater than our deficiencies, greater than our personality, greater than our weaknesses. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit's about. So let's come to this conclusion, okay? If we're looking at this scripture, all right? The power comes from the Holy Spirit. In the last days, this second scripture says there'll be a lack of power because people deny the power of God. So our conclusion is that in these last days, there will be a great denial of the Holy Spirit, Because if the Holy Spirit brings power and people are denying spiritual power, people are denying the Holy Spirit. I think that's what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to cut the Holy Spirit out of our lives. And that's why so many people, so many people, um, so many people will come to an intellectual decision about faith uh, to try to get the heaven thing covered. But do not include the activity of the Holy Spirit in their lives because the Holy Spirit is convicting. The Holy Spirit shines light to dark places in our lives. The Holy Spirit leads us to a sacrificial lifestyle. The Holy Spirit leads us away from selfishness and it leads us into um, a life that exudes fruits that don't come naturally, the fruits of the Spirit. If we're going to follow God, it's less of us and more of Jesus Manifested through the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk to you about power today. I want to talk to you about different aspects of power. And when I talk about that power, always remember the power comes from the Holy Spirit. First thing I want to do is I want to talk to you about, and you can fill in this blank, a message of power. And I love the scriptures we're going to share with you. 
we have a message of power. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. It's good news. You know, the gospel is for the whole world, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. This is talking about chronologically, the gospel through Jesus was presented to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, those who are outside the Jewish faith. That's why we should never be ashamed of Jesus. We should never be ashamed of the gospel message. We should never be ashamed of the cross because the cross changes everything. And the power of God is in the message. The power of God is not in the messenger. The power of God is in the message given by the Holy Spirit. That's why God has changed some of your lives through messengers who ended up, you, you learned that they were flawed messengers. Can I tell you that if God spoke to you through a man or woman, and later on you found out that something weird was going on in their life or something wrong, it does not mean that the message wasn't legitimate. Because the power is in the message. The power is in the cross. The power is in the resurrection. The power is in the word. The power is not in the messenger. The power is the one who gives it. And this was illustrated to me several different ways, but I thought about the story of something that happened a couple of years ago to me. We, we have something here called CIL Forward, which is a series of three classes. The first one, I give the purpose of the church. And the second one, we present the gospel and basic doctrine of the church of, of the, the Bible. And then the third one is about spiritual manifestations. Well, there was a man who missed forward 102. His wife came to it, but he missed it. And so he wanted to catch up. So he asked if, if we could meet. And so we were going to have a one-on-one meeting uh, to go over 102, forward 102. It was kind of a fill-in-the-blank worksheet. It still is. This was in the summer, from what I can remember, And it was a particularly hot summer day. And I went to lunch before the appointment and I ate way too many carbs. And when I eat like tortilla chips and flour tortillas and carbs, it's a bad scene for me. I have a overdose. It's like a sugar coma that I go into. I come back to the office for lunch, having a meeting with this gentleman at 1.30 or 2.00. And it's just not a good scene for me because I am wanting to take a nap. God's man of power and faith ready to lead the church is very sleepy, okay? I'm very drowsily answering emails. My secretary says, your two o'clock appointment's here. I have forgotten about my two o'clock appointment. It was a man coming to learn about Ford 102. So, I scrambled around and got the paperwork, got it printed, and we met together. And it's just me and him right there in the office. And I'm very, very sleepy, very, very sleepy. So we start going through the content. I'm giving him the answers to fill in the blank. And I'm literally thinking, this is the most boring moment of my life. I felt so sorry for the guy across the desk. I'm like, he's rearranged his day to come. And this is so boring. It's like, Jesus died for our blank sin. And we're both writing it in. Jesus came to heal our brokenness. We're both writing this in. And it's just, there is no energy in the conversation. I'm half asleep. And I'm literally thinking, this is so boring. This poor guy is having to sit through this lesson. I feel so sorry for him. So we get down to the part at the end where it says, if you have not received Jesus, would you like to pray this prayer? 
and there's a, there's a prayer listed. And so, again, I say, if you have not received Jesus, would you like to pray this prayer? Thinking this guy attends our church. I've seen him a few times. I'm sure he's a Christian. Would you like to accept Jesus? I look up, and he says, yes. And I think he must have misunderstood the question. So I get real specific. No, I'm saying here, like if you're not a Christian and don't know God and not sure you're going to heaven and you're, you're eternally maybe separated from God, would you like to pray this prayer right now? And the biggest shock of my life, he said again, yes. So I said, well, let's pray the prayer. So since I'm so tired here, I decide just to read the prayer. I mean, I've got nothing. All right. I don't feel the Holy Spirit. I don't feel God. I don't feel anointed. I don't feel like a leader. I feel sleepy and bored. And this guy wants to get saved. So I read the prayer of the sheet and it said like this, Jesus, I repent of my sin. And he repeats, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to come into my life. And I'm, my natural mind is thinking, this is lame. I hope I don't bore this guy to death and he's not going to want to become a Christian. He's, he's probably going to write some book someday that said, I tried to get saved, but the pastor was so boring. It didn't work out. <laughs> and so I said something to the effect, as he's repeating this prayer that I'm reading to him, I accept you as my savior. And he didn't answer. I'm thinking he fell asleep. So I said again, I accept you as my savior. And then he said something with emotion. He said, I accept you as my Savior. I looked up, and he's getting emotional. Tears are starting to fill his eyes. They say, you know, tears start filling my eyes. The Holy Spirit came down in that moment. We finished the prayer. He gave his life to Christ. He's got saved right there in my office on a Tuesday afternoon. Not because I was on, because the message was right. Because the power is not in the messenger, the power is in the message. And the gospel message is powerful. You know what's cool about that guy? He's today back in the sound booth running media. It's Brian Ross in the back. So Brian, he's back there, huh? Before service, I retold that story to Brian. It's like, I remember it that way. Do you remember it that way? He's like, yep, that's how you remember it. <laughs> See, we want to present things well, and you know, I'm a storyteller and all the stuff that we do to, to make sure the message is good. I'm not saying we ignore those facts. We just don't rely on those facts because God can use someone who stutters. God can use someone who doesn't know all of the theological implications. God usually uses those who just got saved because those of us who've been saved a while have gotten too lazy and we don't know any non-Christians anymore. You see, that's, that's, who God uses. The power is in the message. There's power in the gospel message. The story that Christ sacrificially gave his life on the cross, that on the third day he rose again, that he ascended into heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit, he's coming again to judge the world and set the wrong things and make them right. That is a powerful message in every generation, every language, every style. And that's what we rely upon. And that's why... 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, with an emphasis on this energy, this might, this power. And a demonstrate it came in power in the Holy Spirit and with much assurance. Other translations say conviction. And then the moral authority is mentioned here. You know what kind of men we were. 
among you for your benefit. So yeah, there, there does need to be moral authority behind our words. First Corinthians chapter two, verse four and five says, my speech and my proclamation was not with persuasive words of wisdom. And let me just say this before I continue to read that scripture. This is written by Paul to the Greeks in Thessalonica or in Corinth. And, and he, Paul was an educated man. Paul was a philosopher. Paul went toe-to-toe in Athens in Acts 17 and other places debating philosophy. And so it's not that he didn't have the capacity for that. It's not that he didn't have the intellect for that. In fact, God used Paul in a particular way through his education. He used Peter in a particular way through his trade as a fisherman. But Paul didn't rely upon those things. God used them. He said, my speech and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a powerful demonstration by the Spirit, so that your faith may not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. See, this is the life-changing activity of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's power does what we can't do. The Holy Spirit's power does what human words can't do on its own. The Holy Spirit's power does what a human being, a man or woman cannot do with just the power of persuasion or with certain principles. It is a dynamic power that we rely upon. And let us never, let us never try to preach the gospel as only this just kind of intellectual type of presentation without a reliance on the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that brings the power. It's the Holy Spirit that brings the life change. It's the Holy Spirit that brings conversion. I've seen the Holy Spirit just move and transform hearts even when the gospel presentation was a little different at the time and the the Lord corrected that later because the Holy Spirit is working at moving hearts. In the 1960s, culture changed dramatically in America and in Europe and other places also. And our, our country changed. And I think it's worth noting that some good things happened in the 1960s. For minorities, it was great changes. The Civil Rights Act was a good and needed opportunity or or, or justice. For women to have more opportunity, it's been good. For those with disabilities to have more awareness of their needs and the need to integrate them in society, this was a good thing. So... Before we just say, well, the the 60s were terrible. There's some great things that happened. But one thing that did happen, well, many things happened, but but the role of religion in the Christian church in America was rejected and diminished greatly. There was a little bit of a resurgence of that in the 80s, but then now, 50 to 60 years later now, it's, it's fully implemented, this change. And what happened is churches stopped growing in the 1960s, 1970s. So something known as the church growth movement emerged. Denominational officials began to hire consultants, many from the business world, some from the seminaries. And they began to analyze why churches weren't growing. They began to look at churches that were growing. What were they doing? They were doing things like finding really good locations in the suburbs, And they were doing things that we benefit from today, like making sure bathrooms were cleaned and smell good 
People tend to like that. That is a good thing that happened from the church growth movement, that we realized kids need to be checked in safely and room temperature needs to be good. Those are all things that were helpful. But when consultants begin to run the church and then all of a sudden conferences started that were all about technique and this cottage industry was developed where it was talking about principles and steps that may or may not have anything to do with the Bible. Just apply these and your church will grow. And this was the era I was born into, and this is the only thing I knew about church as I grew up and began to seek God's will for ministry. I've already recognized there were some positive things to that, but there was also some negative ramifications of this shift. Since 1990, church attendance in America has fallen significantly. Statistically, it has. Many, many, many less people are attending church than once did. And from 1960s, roughly, to 1990s, it was just stabilized, and there's been a sharp 10 to 15% drop at that time. One of the reasons that hasn't been a more dramatic drop is because of globalism, because the ethnic churches the people who have come from other countries are actually growing uh, more than the traditional American um, demographics. So our country is a little bit in trouble. As I mentioned last week, other parts of the world, revival's happening. Other parts of the world, church is growing. But our church is, our, our country's in trouble when it comes to church growth. And the techniques that we're using to grow, um, and they're usually just causing transfer growth. So what are we going to do? Because we're not going to outslick Hollywood. And we're not going to outperform Broadway. We're not going to outtech the Silicon Valley. And it's okay to learn from those entities because the earth is the Lord's and techniques and knowledge from those segments of society are not evil in themselves. They're a-neutral. We can take those and we can use them for the kingdom. The church needs something today to do the work of evangelism and discipleship. And what we need is power. That's why I want you to write down, secondly, a church of power. God's calling a church of power. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's God's power to those who are being saved. The fact that you worship a man who lived 2,000 years ago, that claimed to be God, that was buried, that his followers claim he was resurrected, he ascended to the heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit, and he's coming again to judge the world and set the wrong things right, um, that's a foolish statement if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because the Holy Spirit draws us to salvation. The wisdom of man can't believe that story. But the working of the Holy Spirit makes that gospel story real to you. And so the church, we believe in the power of God unto salvation. The power of that message. That's why we need to be a church of power. 
We need to be a church that prays for God to do what only God can do. We need to do our best and organize the best we can and to clean up the best we can and to have all the techniques that help us reach our potential. But then have the humility to say, God, fill in the gaps. Fill in the places that we can't fill in. God, take our meager abilities, our ability to communicate, our ability to strategize, our ability to organize, our ability to, to, to show love to the community, to those who are different than us, to those who, who are adversarial to the church. Take our meager ability and God, send your Holy Spirit. Send your help. Send your energy. Speed up what we're doing, God. Lord, empower what we're doing. We can't do it by ourselves. We're not smart enough. We're not talented enough. We're not uh, um, strategic enough. We've tried that and we've fallen short. We need to take those things and not abandon them, but ask for Holy Spirit anointing to come upon what we're doing, to make it more effective, to make it more powerful, to speed up the process, to give us more energy, to see things that we can say only God, not Aaron, not Beth, not the Church of Indian Lake, This is not something that you can just reproduce through techniques. This is something of the spirit of God. It's something you can't predict. You can't control. You can only ask for and receive. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And that power will begin to work. We live among a people who don't want to hear the gospel message. And because of that, we have to be a little more careful how we present that. When we share Jesus, how we do that. But we we have a helper. And the helper will begin to point us. There are people all around us who are ready to receive Jesus that human wisdom can't see by itself. But the Holy Spirit will begin to show you. I believe that the Holy Spirit will begin to show us that there are those around us that either we've never met or those who have been in our lives for a long time who are ready for the gospel. They're ready for the kingdom of God. And they're ready to receive the message. And it's the Spirit who's preparing them. And the Spirit's going to help us to reach out to them. We have the chance. We are on the edge of living in the most exciting time that's ever been in the history of mankind. We have great opportunity. Right before us, we have a chance to dispense information like never before. We have a chance to see cures for diseases to be discovered. We have a chance to interact with new cultures. We have a chance to live a life where we have more margin, more time that's disposable, more income to where we can uh, move beyond our basic needs and begin to think higher thoughts. And we can use those by the Holy Spirit to begin to see kingdom change. This is not a time for us just to cower until the Lord comes back again. This is time for us to submit to his purposes, to ask for his power, to pray for revival, to pray for renewal, to believe that God's not done with our neighbors and our friends. You know, if we're so angry at our country, we'll stop praying for our country. If we're so disgusted with our culture, we'll stop having hope for our culture. But the power of the Holy Spirit wants to raise our hopes, raise our visions, and to see that our kids, our, the next generation, have a chance to see the greatest things, the greatest move of God that's ever happened on this planet before. Not by might, not by power, not by human ideas, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Do you believe it? Amen. Amen. So I want you, here's the last thing I want you to write down. I want you to be encouraged by the power of God. Encouraged by the power of God. Instead of fearing the power of God, instead of associating the power of God with some old experience in the early 90s or whatever, let's just, let's just lay all that stuff down. 
Instead of thinking the power of God is, is associated with a certain type of people, a certain denomination, uh, if we think the power of God was used to manipulate us, okay, I, I understand. I'm not belittling your experiences. Obviously, I've had some experiences like that too. But I'm saying let's lay these things down. And instead, let's begin to let the power of God encourage us, encourage us and to, to strengthen our hope to strengthen what he's called us to do. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 and 8 says this, God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness. I want to tell you, we should not fear an epidemic. We should not fear a plague. We should not fear uh, gun violence unduly. We should not fear um, some conspiracy theory out there. Like there's some force, a conspiracy theory out there that's going to get us. It's going to get us. Man, I'm going to tell you, the power of God is greater than the greatest conspiracy that you could think up in the middle of the night uh, on a Time Life special if you're watching. If they even do those anymore. That wasn't that funny. But, but we, we are not to fear. We are not to fear. We're not to fear the government. We're not to, to fear. We are instead to live in power, love, and sound judgment. So don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord or of his promise. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. And one thing I, I do want to encourage some of you specifically today who are in seasons of suffering. And I want you to know that the power of God is there to help you in your suffering. I believe that, that it's not, we, we won't suffer forever. I know that scripturally when he comes again. And I think that there are times when we have seasons of suffering and God's power has not abandoned you if you're in a season of suffering. He, he's going to help that season to cause a gospel to come forth. This is what the scripture said. Sharing, sharing the suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. That means if you got overlooked, for a raise because you were standing up for conviction, that's a form of suffering. And God's power is on you because you did that. If that, if that means that there's been some level of social ostracism, financial loss, that suffering, the power of God is on you. And don't compromise. Don't let go of your convictions. Don't take that shortcut because any temporary suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that awaits us. And he can help us in that area. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19 says, I pray that he may give you everything. Excuse me. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in the inner man through his Holy Spirit. That's one of the reasons we gather as God's church when the power of the Holy Spirit is here in the preaching. It's in the worship. It's in our 242 groups. It's there to strengthen you. When we begin to pray, we begin to pray for one another. We begin to take our needs to the Lord. And, and I've been in some small groups lately where someone's sitting in a chair. We just gather around, hand on the shoulder, hand on someone's hand, uh, head. And we begin to pray for the power of the Lord there. Just the encouragement of the Lord. How many know that spiritually? There's strength from the Lord that comes when that happens. There's strength from the Lord when his body gets together. When we begin to sing some of these same lyrics together, we can sing them by ourselves, but when we sing them together, one heart, one soul, the power of his presence. When two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, he's here. The power of his anointing here. We gather, we gain strength with his power. The inner man is stronger. We come together because the inner man is strengthened by his spirit. And that Jesus, the Messiah, will dwell in our hearts through faith. And moving on, the scripture goes on and, and says... 
I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love. To know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Would you stand with me? We thank you, Lord, for your presence here. We thank you, Lord, for your presence here. We thank you, Lord, for that you're the helper. We thank you. I want to share one more scripture with you why the Lord wants to encourage you today. Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit. Is that not a good scripture for us today? You know, there's a lot of reason to lose our hope today. But I like those words. Joy and peace and hope, that's in the kingdom of God. Not by what we see, not by what we know, not even by what we experience, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. I know some of our our levels of hope is very low. Can I tell you that low level of hope you may have, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come on that and the power of the Holy Spirit is going to raise that level of hope and new hope, new hope for your family, new hope for your marriage, new hope for your children, new hope for your finances, new, new hope for this, this state we live in. New hope for the city of Hendersonville, the city of Gallatin. New hope for our school systems. Some of us who are in the education field, we, we feel like maybe we've lost a level of hope of what God's doing in our schools. Let hope arise by the power of the Spirit. That's what He wants to do. Let's just begin to ask for the Lord to come in our midst right now. It's been a long time for some of us that we've asked for the power of the Holy Spirit. But we ask you right now, we ask for your power, Holy Spirit. And I guess a better way to say is we just ask for the Holy Spirit because with the Holy Spirit comes the power. So Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, make us aware of who you are. Make us aware of who you are, Holy Spirit. Make us aware of what you're doing. Make us aware of what your plan is. Make us aware of what's happening. We thank you for that, Jesus. We're gonna open up uh, our time for sacrament here. We have communion. If you want to take communion today, I won't give further instruction. Uh, you can take the bread and cup. And when you want to take it, um, you, can, you can eat the bread and drink the cup when your heart's ready. Uh, you don't have to take communion, but it's available. Last Sunday, the Lord moved and, and we, we opened up the altars. And I believe the Lord showed us that's another sacrament. That is something physical that represents what God's doing. And I just want you to know that these steps up here are symbolic. There's nothing special about them. They're symbolic. Of, of an altar, of you laying something down. And there's going to be times that you're going to need to come up here and kneel at these steps. Uh, not because there's magic. I don't even like the word magic. Not because there, there's, there's something uh, powerful in these steps at all, but because it's a sacrament. It's a symbolic movement. So, so just the altars are open from here on out. Don't, don't wait for me. All right? Don't wait for me.